Welcome to the Trailer Cast with Elise Snipes. Each week, I will be sharing with you from inside my vintage trailer where I work as a therapist and share some of my musings on the human experience. I am endlessly fascinated and inspired by people. I love being a therapist and I'm deeply grateful for the intimate and beautiful work I get to do. I believe we are wildly capable of healing and making this world a better place, and this is my attempt at doing that. Sharing beauty to invoke beauty. May you find yourself inside these stories and ponderings and be better for it. Cheers. Okay, so guess what? Our first ever pop-up event is this coming Sunday, March 11th, down at Capo Beach. I'm going to add more Instagram details so I can tell you about the location, timing, exactly where to find me, all that good stuff. So follow me at TrailerCast on Instagram if you want to come. Seriously, I am so excited. Basically, I want you to think of it like an open house with all your friends, okay? So I'm going to tow the trailer down to the beach. We're going to hang out most of the day. And this is really a chance for you to come see the trailer in person, to come meet me, come sit inside, come meet other trailer cast listeners, really just share some space together. So don't be shy. Come down, bring your friends or your family. I'm going to bring my kiddos and all that good stuff too. So let's have some fun. Okay, today we're going to do another listener letter episode. So I get people writing in periodically after they listen to trailer cast with a question from their own life. And I love it. And so I gather enough of the letters and then we do an episode on it. And so if there is something that you're, you've been thinking about, please email me. You can do that at Elise, E-L-Y-S-E at trailercast.com or just direct message me on Instagram. Either way, I really do love hearing from you and getting to interact with what is going on like in real time. So let's jump in. We have three letters today that we're going to go through. One is about money, one is about babies, and one is about broken relationships. So saddle up. (laughs) Dear Elise, as I was listening, I was thinking about the issue of fees when it comes to therapy. It can be a complex part of the process, but also an important part. I know that I have had clients wrestle with that ambivalence of feeling cared for by another, but then having to pay for it. It makes me curious that this was one of my free associations while listening to the interview. Possibly because you obviously had deep, meaningful, long-lasting relationships with these two people, and I imagine money was talked about or at least felt at various moments. I would love to hear your thoughts on this issue, and I also thought it may be good for listeners to understand more about this. I know for many people, the idea of paying for someone to listen or care or be your surrogate friend, parent, spouse is an interesting concept. Signed, Money Matters. Oh, yeah. Money, money, money. I love this question. Um, And you're totally right. This is a really good thing to talk about too. And mainly because it can be so dang awkward to monetize something so deeply personal. Okay, so let me start with my experience as a client. So with Annie, I felt like I was paying for something I was receiving. And I think where it can get funky for some people is because in therapy, you're paying for a service and not a good. And so that can might feel a little bit blurry because you're not necessarily walking away with the product because you are the product. And so for me, I paid for therapy because it was valuable to me. I had to budget for it, save for it. And because therapy was really precious to me in that season, 
I made sure that I was able to pay for it. Okay. So could I have gone through my insurance and tried to pay for $25 a session? Absolutely. And do I encourage people to do that sometimes? You betcha. But I knew I found something in Annie worth paying for. And I honestly wish I could have paid her more. Because when I really break it down, how could I ever repay Annie for how she changed my life? So yeah, worth it. And it never felt less than because I was paying for it. I felt like I was showing her how much I valued the work. And there have been years I couldn't afford to go to therapy and I didn't, or times when I would go for a season and stop. And in my relationship with Annie, my question wasn't, did she care about me? But did I value myself enough to pay for this? You know, do you hear the difference? Did I value myself enough to pay for this? Okay, so let me tell you about some experiences I've had as a therapist. Some horror stories to start, okay? Upon intake, when someone comes in, you do both a written and verbal intake. And there's a procedure where we review all of the rules, okay? The confidentiality stuff, privacy stuff, mandated reporter stuff, communication, money, scheduling, the whole thing. We both sign on it so that there are no surprises or hidden costs. It's just what what it is, just right up front. So I have a cancellation policy in there, like most therapists. And so I had a client who had to cancel her appointment. And so I reminded her of the cancellation policy. And she was super upset. And I mean, like, pissed. She literally was so put out by it that she's screaming into the phone that what if I have to cancel with her? Was I going to pay her for my missed session? <laughs> um, yikes. And then a couple weeks ago, I had a referral from a local church come through. And so I called to introduce myself. And she just kind of like railroads the conversation, interrupts me and asks me, well, what's your fee? And so I let her know. And she laughs into the phone and says, well, I guess I'll call you when I win the lottery. (laughs) Okay. Um, So yeah, I share these anecdotes to confirm that yes, indeed, money is triggering and it's a unique part of the therapeutic relationship. So for many, especially in such an intimate relationship, If there is a client I've been working with for a while and this comes up, I usually see it as an opportunity to dive deeper into the therapeutic relationship, okay? The the stories I just mentioned are just to show you that people are kind of can get super absurd about money. And if there isn't a relationship there to maybe talk about it with a little more purpose, then it really, I don't know, I feel like it kind of reflects poorly on both parts. So I'm going to speak to when money comes up with a client that maybe I've already been working with for a while. That's what we're talking about here. Okay. So if this comes up and we've been working together in therapy, I might ask them, what does it feel like for you to have to pay for our time together? And I will ask them if it makes them wonder about my intentions for our relationship. If they have a question they want to ask me. And if they can't, I might offer these. Do you wonder if I would still meet with you if you weren't paying me to be here? Or does it feel like you are buying my love or care for you? Because, you know, sometimes the client is wanting to test the depths of the relationship that is there. And I don't take this, like, as a challenge or anything to be offended by. I see it as a deeper question and opportunity for us to hold the relationship between therapist and client and look at it. 
I see it as progress and vulnerability and risk. And if they are doing that, then they're growing and feeling comfortable enough to ask those questions. So yes, money matters. And it's a conversation that you really want to navigate as delicately as possible, aware that it probably has less to do about money and more to do about what is going on in our relationship together. Okay, so how about a purely objective level? Why is it so damn expensive? (laughs) Some of the costs that go into private practice are unseen. So I work in Orange County. Office space is extremely expensive, hence why I now work out of a trailer. So if you are renting office space, you can work for 10 hours of therapy doing 10 clients and still not have covered your rent, right? You have to factor in the space that you're in, what it costs to furnish that office, licensing fees, liability, insurance, business operation fees, advertising costs, organization membership dues. Um, Most people are offsetting childcare costs and obviously trying to make a living. Okay, as therapists, you also have to go to grad school and do continuing ed and continue to renew your license. And so I think a lot of therapists were also like paying off debt from school and our internship where we had to work for pretty much free and earn those 3,000 hours. And if you get on an insurance panel, the reimbursement rate is insulting. And so you also only get paid if you do the work, right? And so when spring break comes up or Christmas or the kids are sick, then therapists aren't getting paid. So... It's also specialized work, and it's hard, and not everybody wants to do it. I'm saying that not to justify like the astronomical cost, because sometimes it does feel like a little bit insane. Um, I think it's just maybe to show the background of it also costs a therapist to work as well. Um, I'll tell you how I do it. I have done cost um, in therapy in, in several different ways. I had one of my very first clients when I was an intern and I charged her $5 because it is all that they could do. And for her, she was so insanely thankful for that. And I had another client ask for a discount, which I did, of course, because I could at that time. But then we spent the next six months hearing about things she was spending money on that like, that I would never be able to afford. She spent more on her gym membership each month than she did in therapy. I find it always amusing that people can be willing to pay for their physical self and less willing to pay for their emotional or psychological self. So I had to be aware of that if I made that funky, right, that if I kept getting irked by that experience of knowing that she asked for a discount, but she's spending all this money on other things and made it feel like she wasn't really prioritizing the work, but making me prioritize it for her. So I know that if I brought that into the room, then I was going to hinder the therapeutic relationship. So I always remind myself that scholarships are my choice. I make them in freedom and because I really believe in the work. I also obviously charge people my full fee. So my usual deal I make with myself is if I get a full fee client, I make space for a scholarship client. Um, I always have two scholarship client spots available and then I just... I don't know, I kind of trust that it's going to work itself out. See, if I have a weird relationship to money, my clients are going to feel that. So I generally just kind of keep a light touch on it. So I hope that kind of flushes out that question a little more. The long short of it is people are weird about money. And there's probably more to the story than the actual dollar amount. So don't, don't you make it about the money. And they probably won't either. 
explore it when it comes up. Trust your caseload to work itself out. Integrity and generosity go a long way in this industry. Okay, letter number two. This is my favorite. Holy crap, Elise. (laughs) My husband is getting a vasectomy next week, and all of these really sad feelings are hitting me like a ton of bricks. I had no idea that it would be this hard to say goodbye to having babies. I honestly feel like I'm grieving over the loss of that time in my life, and I have a three-month-old. I frequently get caught up, and this is the last time I'll insert whatever here. And it is hurting so much. Would love some perspective. Signed, Snipped and Gypped. Okay, Snipped and Gypped, we're going to start light. This transition is hard. There is something about calling an end to the baby-making phase um, that kind of draws out our inner woman. And there's something historical about it, right? Because in the season of creating human life, there's hope and anticipation and intimacy. You know, it's about our ability to conceive and nurture, protect, deliver. It speaks to fruitfulness and wonder. It's one of the first major transitions that we hit cognitively, right? That we are saying that we are making some choice in this. And so what comes up in this season can often be an opportunity to see what is lurking below our surface level losses. Okay, so one way that you can tell the difference between grieving what is right in front of you or grieving something that is so much deeper is if you're feeling out of proportion to the surface thing. Okay, so it usually sounds similar to what you mentioned, that you had no idea that it would be this hard. And if that's the case, maybe it is tied to something else. Okay, so let's take this a little bit deeper. When I was sitting with your letter, there was a few concepts that came to me. One of them was letting it be enough. So it makes me think that you need a place within yourself to hold these precious moments because they seem to kind of run through you right now and then you find yourself empty again. And so if we were going to begin our work together, I would find out about how you hold on to joy. I would ask what you do with pain. I would want to understand what your storehouse looks like and what you keep within. I'd be curious about feelings of loss and control, of being powerless. If there was something before this in your life that felt beyond your ability to fix, something you didn't have power over but wanted to. And I would ask you to really identify what this feeling of loss feels like. Have you sit with it and then find out what else this reminds you of. It might not be something you were expecting. It might have nothing to do with having babies. So if something pops in your head, don't discount it because it doesn't make sense. You see, our brains hold pain in the form of symbols, categorizing and storing things by association that maybe you wouldn't rationally connect, but the brain processed it as similar and put it in the same storage space. I'm totally fascinated by the idea of symbols, of what our current symptoms reveal about our covered-up experiences, of how we give ourselves permission to grieve some things but not others, how we normalize one thing and stigmatize another. So I can viscerally remember crying in a movie theater. I was watching City of Angels, if you must know, and as I'm there in that dark room 
tears just start pouring down my face and something clicked in me and I felt a question bubble to the surface. What are you really crying for? I was caught off guard. What am I really crying for? Who am I really crying for? Because let's be be honest, it probably isn't Meg Ryan and Nicolas Cage. Movies, music, art, they have a way of drawing something out of us. And what we are responding to is not only what is in front of us, but how we specifically make sense of the work. So movies, music, art, they are evocative. They evoke something within us. You see, they don't give us the whole thing, right? The thing about art is we fill in our story with the story that the artist laid out before us. We project what the artist was trying to give us. But regardless, something happened, right? We felt something. But hear this. Don't mistake the medium for the magic. Don't diminish your own process or response by saying it must have just been that thing, that actor, that song, that commercial. It might be something within you looking for any form of transportation to be released. So for me in that theater, it wasn't Meg's death that was stirring these deep emotions. My dad had been sent to prison that year, and I had never let myself cry about it. (laughs) I just locked it down until all of a sudden I'm watching this movie and I just can't get a hold of myself. And so you see, it might be what is in front of you that is calling out this emotional release, but you might need to mine that experience a little deeper to see what else is there. So for you, you are saying goodbye to having more babies. I wonder if you have had to grieve other seasons of your life. Have you had ideas for yourself you weren't able to live into? Things you brushed aside and didn't give yourself permission to cry about. Maybe this is your chance to release that. Or maybe you are closing a chapter in your life and with the ending of that season, you have to accept the reality of children and not babies. And speaking for myself as a mom, I would take the free love, I can do no wrong and meet all your needs and we cuddle and I squish you and smell your neck rolls and bury myself into your glorious babiness any day especially when it is in comparison to being yelled at for not making a fort correctly because I didn't use the to-scale drawing that was provided for me by my five-year-old or that because I said cotton candy isn't, in fact, a complete meal. And I am now the worstest. So (laughs) raising children is next level. So maybe this is my own story now, but you are also closing a chapter. This marks the end of a season which causes you to have to shift, to turn on your heel and face the next thing coming at you. So what is hard for you there? What is difficult in having children rather than babies? The possibility of rejection, the inability to control, the lack of physical connection. What is it for you? I would encourage you to make some space to process some of these ideas and see what actually sticks for you. In the meantime, snipped and gypped, this is my suggestion. Embrace the powerlessness. Stand, don't struggle against this. It will help you enter the moment and drink deeply of it. Letter number three is brief. Dear Elise, hi. 
Would love to hear you talk about how to handle an extremely broken relationship with in-laws. We have basically been estranged and do not see any resolution short of a miracle at this point. Signed, Outlawed. First, in regards to how to handle this, it sounds like you already have. I'm not sure about the specific details of estrangement or who initiated it or why it happened or why it's still happening, so I'm going to do my best with this one. People are broken all on their own. Now, when you stick them into relationships, and these are ones they're choosing, that's more than double the brokenness. So now put that into a family context, relationships that you don't get to choose. I mean, it is a wonder that any families are intact at all. I mean it. The odds are so against it. So now let's add to the fun the in-law component and what sounds like more than typical human brokenness. Your physical estrangement might be the manifestation of your emotional estrangement. And if that is the case, I typically try to watch for the relationship between the two spheres and then reinforce either a contrasting or complementary experience. So for instance, when families are extremely emotionally chaotic, their chaos is what fuses them. And we call this fusion delusion. You know, there is an actual closeness, just the byproduct of being fucked up together. And they need some physical distance to sort out the mess before they can re-engage their emotional relationships. In families where there is emotional distance, we are working on establishing more regular physical interaction to increase the opportunity for emotional connectivity. So again, these concepts apply to typical family systems. And what is typical anyways? And what is therapy good for if we can't help those outside the bell curve, which is usually where estrangement comes in? People not really knowing what else to do or try, uh, insurmountable differences, pain that no restitution would ever cover. In these instances, there might be something more severe or chronic going on, and so we need to use a different lens. Here's a rule of thumb. If there is abuse going on of any sort, be it psychological, emotional, verbal, and definitely physical or sexual, get yourself some space, period. I'm not saying swear off the relationship forever. I am saying you can't possibly think clearly or react intentionally with that person before you get the help, perspective, healing, clarity, or strength you need to set the boundaries necessary for that relationship to thrive. Space creating distance, a break. None of this has to be final, but it might be first. So I typically tell people not to think of forevers. Let's think of what we need to do now so we don't affect the forever with the chaos and pain of the now. And relationships that are just chronic and ongoing tension and fighting, there is almost always some underlying unspoken wounding someone who lacks self-control, and someone who is passive-aggressive. This is quite the volatile cocktail. Get some space, make something of it, then decide what to do. So just in case the estrangement was not something that you were wanting, you might not be able to close that gap right now. Some helpful things to consider here are what has the other party asked of you? Have they asked for space? If so, why? How can you respect that and then make a way forward? Is this relationship separation worth seeking therapy over? Can you ask for a specific date to talk again and see where both parties are at? 
even if it is six months or a year away, ask if it would be okay for you to contact them at that time to check in and see if there is room for repair then. And if you are on the receiving end of disconnect, it might be worth seeking some understanding into what precipitated the specific separation. Sometimes we need the space to see clearly. If you are the one choosing the separation, if you've asked for the space or distance or respect for them to leave you the hell alone, what is it you're really asking? For a forever thing? For a right now thing? Is this based on contingencies? Like when they stop drinking? When they prioritize their family? When they get out of that toxic marriage? When they stop being so hurtful? When they respect your boundaries? When you can have a conversation that doesn't end in fighting or tears? When they can acknowledge they were wrong? When they make room for you in their life? Decide on how you want it to end and work backwards. If these contingencies exist, what do you need to accomplish them? What do they need to do? What do you need to do? Communicate it and stick to it. You might need a mediator throughout this process. And this may or may not be a therapist. It might be an outside person you both agree on or an unbiased family friend as if those exist. Uh, But sometimes things get lost in translation or things are so fractured already, you may need someone to help you stay at the table and see it to the end. So this is another part I want to include and I feel like it's important. Be careful of the narrative you are telling yourself and others about the relationship. Sometimes we confirm our own beliefs because we need them to justify the space. And sometimes we are trying to make sense of what is happening and we talk aloud and people add in and then it gets worse, you know? We are creative people and inherently we want to avoid pain and experience pleasure. And we can do that through casting ourselves in a light that's more flattering. Or depending on our specific cognitive distortion, we can cast ourselves in all shadow and become a martyr to our experience. So keep that in mind as you are making sense of this particular brokenness. If there are kids involved, be especially careful. They hold on to what you say. Think about how you might want to explain what is happening and why. Be okay with not having all the answers or just telling them parts of the story. And now for yourself. Outlawed, Hold yourself carefully in this season. When relationships are in hiatus, it can be crushing. Be careful to let it in in small doses. You're not going to solve it all in one day. Give it the time it needs and don't lose yourself in the process. I would also suggest a support system or someone you can confide in without censoring yourself that is not your partner and is outside of your own family system so you don't add more fuel to something that is already burning down. You catch me? I'm in my own separation right now with my dad. It's, um, it's devastating, confusing, it's maddening, it's dumb. <laughs> so much time has lapsed now, and we had nothing in place that I am telling you about now, and I wish I did. I feel like I'm in some desert wasteland and it feels like I've been here so long I sometimes don't even realize that we're still doing this. There have been different seasons of my life where I've been estranged from my dad. Some of my own volition, some not. But it always hurts. And it hurts because when our relationship has been good, it has been great. And it hurts because we have journeyed through so many gnarly things that this just feels trivial. And it hurts because I'm a parent now too, and I just, I wouldn't do it this way. 
appears to hoping we will both see the healing we are looking for within ourselves and within them too. Thanks for listening. To connect with me, suggest a topic for the show, or ask a question from your own life you would like to have answered, email me at elise at trailercast.com. E-L-Y-S-E at trailercast.com. You can also see more on the TrailerCast website or follow me on Instagram at TrailerCast, where you can watch the renovation of my vintage mobile office and see more from behind the scenes. Remember, you can subscribe on iTunes and tell your friends. 